I am so excited to share 20% off my favorite adaptogen blends with you. Research shows adaptogens can balance cortisol, combat fatigue, enhance focus, ease depression and anxiety, and support proper hormone function. The more I researched this, the more I realized the easiest and best way to enjoy adaptogens is with superfood blends that can be added to water. I found Organifi, and now I love it. Organifi has an amazing little thing called Red Juice that is a red berry antioxidant blend that has cordyceps, rhodiola, and reishi. Cordyceps boosts energy, immunity, and stamina. I drink it during every podcast recording now. And when I'm stressed out and not sleeping well, I take green juice mid-morning. And guys, I finish every day now with either gold or gold chocolate. So this is a mixture of reishi and calming adaptogens and turmeric. It's either, it's kind of like a hot chocolate or like a turmeric warm drink at the end of the night. You just mix it with warm water and it has helped me so much. It's way more effective than the sleepy tea I was drinking. So they're both the same drink, just different flavors, gold or gold chocolate. I love it. I've totally fallen in love with Organifi. All their superfood adaptogen blends are 100% certified organic. They have high quality ingredients. They are free of fillers and they taste really good while also providing a clinical and effective dose of adaptogens. You can support your body, energy, immunity, and stress with Organifi. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods without breaking the bank. Go to Organifi.com forward slash wellfed. Our code wellfed will get you 20% off, which is an awesome discount. Organifi, so that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash wellfed. Go to that link. Use our code wellfed for 20% off. Before we dive in, friends, I have a very quick favor to ask. Could you leave a review for the show wherever you are listening to this podcast? It's been a while. We've only had about one review this year thus far, and I we need help. So all you need to do is just leave a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. If you are listening to this in Apple Podcasts, if you have the show, this episode up, just click the three dots in the bottom right-hand corner. You'll still be able to hear my voice as you're doing this. Click go to show and then scroll all the way down and you'll be able to click the five stars there and leave a comment if you want to. It would be so helpful. So thank you in advance. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you are here because this episode's going to blow your mind. I am your host, Noelle Tarr. My website is coconutsandkettleballs.com. You will find recipes and workouts and lots of articles on there. You'll also find all the show notes for every podcast episode of the Well-Fed Women podcast. This is episode number 375. Today, I am joined by Sal Stefano of Mind Pump, the very popular fitness podcast. And we are going to be unpacking all of your questions, so many of them. We're going to be talking about fitness and how, what to do if you want to improve your metabolism, why you should be lifting more, and why and how you can incorporate that into your life. The secret to things like being consistent and having motivation. And we're also going to be busting a lot of fitness myths, y'all, which I'm, of course, thrilled about this. Muscle toning. 
I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're also going to talk about why cardio is not superior and you don't need to be focusing on burning calories and all the all the good stuff. Thank you guys for sending in all your questions. We have so many good ones to get to. So what I want to do with this episode is really get to a lot of the nitty gritty. You know, I want I want to have actionable tips. I want you guys to be able to say, okay, here's what I need to do. Here's how I can make that work and be able to take information from this and implement it into your life. So I love all the questions that you guys have. We'll definitely be able to have some more in-depth discussions about how much and when and how and what should you be doing? What types of movement should you be doing when you work out? Um, All of that's going to come up. So I'm really, really thrilled. Let me dive in to Sal's bio and we will get going because we've got a lot to talk about. Sal Stefano is a personal trainer and co-founder of Mind Pump Media and co-host of Mind Pump, an online radio show slash podcast that is dedicated to providing truthful fitness and health information. He's the author of the new book, The Resistance Training Revolution. He is also the designer of the Muscular Adaptation Programming System, or MAPS, fitness products. Sal is dedicated to prioritizing health over appearance, and he aims to shift the direction of the fitness industry from aesthetic and insecure based to one based on self-love and self-care. Welcome, Sal. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm really excited to be on your show. I didn't know a whole lot about your show until we talked, and we are uh, very much on the same page. And I, I, I get real excited meeting other people in the fitness and health and wellness space that are communicating fitness, health, and wellness the right way because they're so we're so inundated with terrible information that's hurting people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just really want to, yeah, it's, it's great. It, it makes me really happy to see people like you doing what you're doing. Good. I think a lot of people in my community love your show. And because once I said, hey, I'm interviewing Sal, like, let's send me your questions. Everybody was like, oh, I love that show. Or my husband loves that show. And we listen to it together. So I know oh. that you're definitely influencing a lot of people, including women in my community. You have a lot going on. You have a lot a lot of responsibilities. You have a book, which I have here. You have a very popular podcast, uh, programs and products. I know you have kids. As a working parent, how do you find the time to remain consistent and keep up with your own personal fitness? Oh, oh, that's a good question. You, um, one of the, the, the best things I figured out for myself, well, there's a couple different things. One, is that I, I value the, the journey and the process of, of fitness and health. And what that does is it allows me, it, it gives me the ability to manipulate my workouts, my training, my nutrition in a way to complement my life, to improve the quality of my life. Now, that sounds obvious uh, when I say it that way, but uh, to go a little deeper, oftentimes we go into our training and diet in a way that is um, maybe motivated by self-hate, motivated by mm-hmm. not liking our bodies. Um, so we kind of go in it into it from this kind of negative standpoint, which can be a very powerful short-term motivator, a very bad long-term motivator. But as a short-term motivator, what we tend to do is we say, hey, I don't like the way I look. I need to lose 20 pounds. And then you're focused on the goal of 20 pounds. And when you do it that way, it's really hard to stay consistent long-term for a couple different reasons. One, you can't hate yourself forever. At some point, you end up stopping because you, quote, want to enjoy your life, which is interesting, right? It's like Mm. you stop exercising, which is supposed to improve your health and do all these great things for you, but you stop because you want to improve your life. And that's because 
you went into it from a negative standpoint. Number two, when you're so focused on the goal, once you hit that goal, you reach this, this space where you're like, okay, now what, what do I do now? You know, what's my next goal? What am I chasing after now? Or you're just like, I hit my goal. Now I'm, I'm done. I don't feel like doing this anymore. So what I've done over the years, I've just really fallen in love with the, the process. So I love the workout for the workout itself. I love the way that it makes me feel. It's very meditative. It's um, one of the only times during the day where I'm not distracted. Um, I feel very present. I, t- I think the other times would be when I'm with my kids. Um, I also time my workouts in a way to where it, there's m- minimal chance that they could potentially get interrupted. As you said, I have a business, I have uh, three children, and um, it, it, if I schedule my workout at any other time than 6 a.m., <laughs> lots of things can get in the way, you know? Right. If, but, but if I start my day that way, it's less likely to get interrupted. Now, truth be told, my workout performance and my strength and energy would be much better at a different time. <laughs> it's not the greatest at 6 a.m. Right. But it really helps me be consistent. And then uh, after the workout, I start my day. And I because I've already started with something positive for me, something that and, – and I go into it, you know, wanting to take care of myself, that the rest of the day kind of um, follows along and it's, it's much more positive. So I'd say that's probably – the biggest key. Um, but, and so I do it about five days a week, Monday through Friday, I'll, I'll wake up at five and by 6am I'm usually working out and my workouts will change depending on how I feel. If, if I had good sleep or if my sleep wasn't too good, or if I'm stressed or tired, it can really change. Sometimes my workouts are mobility focused. Uh, sometimes a relaxation kind of focused. It could literally be just sitting in a sauna or walking, um, and other times I have lots of energy, I feel strong and I have much more challenging, um, workouts, but I've been doing this now for, uh, a long time. So the kind of workouts that I tend to do, um, really reflect my fitness and in, in, in my lifestyle and they can be different from person to person, but for me, and I've also found by the way that that works for a lot of other people that, that first thing in the morning workout tends to help with consistency. Mm. You know, it's so profound actually talking about fitness as I adapt it to my own life. Like what if I'm tired or I had a rough night or what, you know, I, I'm going to change my workout. And I think that that's the beauty of fitness that is enjoying the journey, not seeing it as a destination or a goal weight or I've, I, I have to be doing this or X will happen. Because when we have that mindset, it is hard to ca- stay consistent because like you said, you, you eventually it's, it's like it, it's hard to hate yourself. It, it gets really lonely and tiring and it's exhausting. And so when you can see it for, OK, this is a journey that is supposed to like make my life better and adapt to my life. If I didn't get sleep, I can change my workout. If, you know, I feel great, I can push it a little harder. At the end of the day, you're doing what you enjoy and it is going to add, you know, years to your life, but also improve your mental and your physical health. And it's much easier to stay consistent. Like it seems like such a simple concept, right? Totally, totally. It, it's, it, it, it sounds simple, but it's difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. or it's not easy because again, the, I mean, look, as a kid, I started exercising as a teenage boy and my motivations were very similar to most people's motivations when they first start working out. It was based on insecurity. Mm, I, same. I was yeah. a skinny yeah. kid and I felt, you know, like I wasn't strong enough or inadequate. So 
that's what initially motivated me. But if you stick to it long enough, you start to figure out that um, you learn a lot of lessons, right? You learn acceptance because at some point I realized I'm not going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. So <laughs> that's not going to happen. So I got to accept my own, who I am, my own body, right? Um, so there's a lot of acceptance there. You also start to value the process of failing and not being good at things because that's what, uh, you know, the journey of exercise is all about. I mean, you first do an exercise, you're not going to be good at it for a long time. You try something different. It's just not going to be great. At some point, as you get older, you know, I'm, I'm in my early forties now, at some point you're, you're not going to get much stronger. You're not going to get much faster. And so you start to value different things. You know, I, this, this, I say this quote often on, on the podcast and that's the, the person who enjoys walking will walk further than the person who enjoys the destination. Hmm. Um, I think that's kind of what this is, you know, what this is about. And I, I also learned a lot of these lessons, uh, Noel, as a, as a trainer, you know, I, I started as a professional trainer, uh, as soon as I was old enough, as soon as gyms uh, could hire me when I was 18 years old, I walked in, became a trainer and I love fitness, but I love people even more. And I really wanted to help people. And so it constantly challenged me to figure out what I was doing wrong. Why was it that I couldn't get people to maintain health and fitness? You know, is it discipline? Are they, are they just not as motivated as me? Is that what it is? And, and I remember figuring that wasn't really the problem because I'm training very successful executives and parents. And it's like, well, they're obviously very disciplined and consistent other aspects of life. Maybe it's my approach. Maybe it's how I'm communicating this and how I'm applying fitness. Maybe I'm assuming everybody is a fitness fanatic like me, <laughs> which we're, we're not. Most people aren't. I mean, mm -hmm. if you are, you probably work in the fitness space. Um, and so, you know, you learn a lot of lessons through that process. And I remember this one really when it clicked for me as a trainer, if you have clients cancel appointments on you, right? If they call you and say, Hey, I, I, I'm going to miss our workout. It's usually because there's like, you know, Hey, I'm tired. I didn't get good sleep. Hey, my shoulder hurts a little bit. I think I should skip my workout. And that's pretty common. But I remember when I started to piece together what we just talked about, right? Where you, your workout, your, your training should be uh, positioned and organized in a way to where it complements your life as it is in this moment, right? The, the context of your current life. When I started figuring that out, I started training people far more appropriately. And then this very interesting thing happened. Not only did people stop canceling on me because their shoulder hurt or because they were tired, I would get these calls. I would have people call me and say, hey, Sal, I know I'm not scheduled for today, but I'm really stressed out. Do you have any time to see me? Or, you know, my, my knee is kind of stiff. Do you have time later this afternoon? I'd like to come see you. And I started realizing people are seeing me because the workouts are making them feel better right now, like right afterwards. Mm. And the consistency for people went through the roof. They developed a different relationship with exercise. Um, and it was one piece of the puzzle. And that's very true. I'll say this. I've said this so many times on my show. Um, you should feel better after your workout than you did before. You should feel more energized. You should feel more alive. You should not feel like you survived, right? You shouldn't mm -hmm. finish your workout and feel like you need to crawl to your car to get, to drive to work or like, you know, you, you're, you're dead or, oh my God, I can barely move. You know how many times people say that, right? Oh my gosh, I can barely move. That was a great workout. Huh? That was not a great workout. Um, that was, you, you went too far. Now there is some value in the occasional 
workout that tests and push your limit. That's more of a mental, I would say, psychological benefit. But 90% or more of your workouts, you should finish your workout and feel more energized and better than you did going into it. And if that's not happening, then you're not doing it right. And you're, and it's going to be very likely that you're not going to be able to find consistency long term. Mm. Describes about a decade of my life. <laughs> CrossFit and endurance training wasn't really about, oh, I love CrossFit and endurance training. It was like, oh, how can how hard can I push myself? You know, and, and I think so many women get really wrapped up in that. Um, especially, especially women. And it's not has nothing to do with women being women, but rather um, the fitness industry is the fitness media popular industry. And I'm wrapping into that the diet industry, diet mm-hmm. pill industry like the whole, the whole sphere of it, right? That industry is, um, it, it's driven by marketing that to sell products. They know that in the short term, they can get you to buy things if they make you feel bad about yourself, if they prey on your insecurities. Um, and, uh, they, they lie. The, the, the information that's presented largely in our space is false. It's it not only is it false, it's opposite. It's terrible. This is what motivated my partners and I to start our podcast. We had been training people for two decades and it's so frustrating when you really want to help people and you're constantly, constantly battling bad information. They would come in mm-hmm. and say, hey, this new diet, I read this thing. Hey, I got this article on this workout. Hey, I saw this new training program that you know Beyonce is doing or whatever. And just like, okay, no, 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 this is all terrible. This isn't working. Hey, my friend lost 30 pounds taking these pills. I think I want to try that, right? And you'd, mm-hmm. you'd have to you know, re-educate constantly the fitness industry is full of that and the fitness industry has harmed women the most the absolute most and it part of it i think is women are a bigger consumer base generally speaking so you know hey let's target this consumer base but also because um fitness started out being kind of a male thing and in order to attract this new consumer base they had to lie and make up words or at least make up definitions of words. I'll give you a great example, Noel. It's my favorite example. When you look at strength training, for example, right? So lifting weights or using resistance in a way to build muscle. That initially was very strongly associated with bodybuilders and men, okay? Women didn't go in the weight room. Women didn't touch weights. Even today, although it's a lot better today, but even today, lots of women are afraid to do strength training for fear of getting too big or, you know, I don't want to look like a guy or, or whatever. Right. So how did the fitness industry attract women, um, into their gyms? Well, they, they changed the definition of the word toned, toned in medical, (laughs) uh, in the medical space is literally refers to the ability of the central nervous system to activate a muscle. Okay. That's it. So it's the ability of your muscle to, to contract the fitness industry took that and changed it and said, Hey, Come work out at our gym. We have pink upholstery on our machines and, you know, five pound dumbbells and these classes where you don't take any rest and you do these circuits and you're not going to build big muscles. You're just going to get toned, right? (laughs) (laughs) Muscles don't tone. They build or they shrink. That's it, right? And they say other things too, like, you know, do our workouts and build long, lean muscles. Long, lean. Oh my gosh. I cannot stand that one. That was in so many fitness magazines. Long and lean. I'm like, what does that even mean? You can't, you can't change the length of your muscle, unfortunately. Your, your attachments are, <laughs> right. are genetic. So they've been totally lied to. I mean, the, ex, the workouts that are promoted for both men and women are typically terrible. They're intensity-based. 
pain based. There's really no um, rhyme or reason to the programming. Programming refers to like sets and reps and exercises and order of exercises. And there's a lot of science that goes into it. And if you really want to see what good programming looks like, what you do is you go to strength sports like Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting because uh, in those places, bad workouts are thrown out because there's no, you're, you're not, you're not performing better uh, in competition. It's very black or white, very objective. Uh, but everywhere else, workout programming is terrible, but it's so bad when it comes to women. The workouts promoted to women are incredibly terrible. They take out the most effective exercises uh, because they're associated with, you know, be looking like a bodybuilder. And they replace them with these terrible, I wouldn't say useless exercises. All exercises have value, but these are exercises that are like, you're going to do these for years and get a fraction of the result that you may get from doing other exercises that are superior um, with less time, right? So, um, and, and not only that, of course, uh, culturally women are constantly told they need to look a particular way. And now you have social media, um, which makes that even worse. And so what mm -hmm. happens is you, you go through social media and you're, everybody you see looks a particular way and your brain, uh, all, it creates this illusion where, wow, that's how everybody looks, which isn't true. Uh, if you walk around in the real world, you notice real quickly Nobody looks like they do mm -hmm. in Instagram, but right. you start to compare yourself and the, and the, and the fitness space preys on that and, and women are a prime target. And so, um, you know, we speak to that quite a bit on our show. Um, and you know, I, I speak very heavily to that. Like women are afraid, for example, to eat in a calorie surplus, right? Mm -hmm. Like, no, 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 I can never eat more calories than I'm burning, you know, God forbid. Right. Well, that's a, that's necessary if you want to turn your metabolism up, right? If you want to build a little bit of muscle so you have a faster metabolism, that's necessary. Or if you have mm -hmm. hormone imbalances, you're going to have to do that to tell your body to not freak out and be so, you know, so stressed, right? But they're told never do that. You got to never do that, right? Women are never, are, are typically told don't train heavy uh, with resistance. Why? Because you'll, you'll look bulky. That's not true at all. That's, that's absolutely false. That's the, one of the best ways to get the, you know, the look that people are typically looking for, it also gives you great stability and strength. Strength is extremely empowering uh, for both men and for women. But I used to find as a trainer that my female clients would, they, they just, they loved the feeling of feeling strong. They loved, I remember I had this mm -hmm. one woman that I trained. She was an executive, this petite woman. She was a uh, total badass in business though, but she never really worked out um, consistently. And I remember she hired me and we started working out and then she used to travel quite a bit. She worked in the tech industry and she would travel every other month or so. And I remember she, this was after maybe three or four months of training. She came back from a trip and she's like, I got to tell you, she's like, I had the coolest experience. I said, well, oh, what happened? She goes, I went to the, on the plane and I put the suitcase in the overhead compartment and I didn't ask anybody to help me. And she goes, and that, that she's like, I, that never happens. She's like, I've never, I've always had to ask. She was a very petite woman. And I, I realized, wow, that's really empowering to be able to do things because you're stronger, right? Um, but we're not told that necessarily. Or either, either we're not told that or we're told we need to be skinny or small um, or, um, you know, that that's not uh, the way that you need to train or whatever. So um, this is a very uh, – I'm very passionate about this topic sp both for men and women but specifically for women just because I've seen – more damage done in that direction uh, than I've seen done with men. 
Yeah. I I think, you know, we've both seen a dramatic shift in the fitness industry over the last couple of decades. But I, I, Sal, I feel like the one thing that, maybe not the one, but one of the myths that still remains fairly pervasive is that exercise solely exists to burn calories. So it's it's what you do if you want to lose weight. And so many women end up having a toxic relationship with fitness where it's, oh, I ate, so I need to burn that off. Or they prioritize cardio or exercise that burns the most calories, which was like my story, as opposed to what do I enjoy and what's going to serve my health and my physical and mental health long term. So talk to me about the value of exercise, specifically resistance training when it comes to long-term health for women. Yeah. You know what the irony of this, of that is, is that of all of the values that exercise provides you, the calories that you burn while you do it is the bottom. It's the least important thing. (laughs) Right. Now here's, here's why, here's why your body adapts very quickly to that. It actually learns to become very efficient. Okay. And this isn't just my anecdote. This is proven by by study, I'll give you a great a great study that I've quoted uh, many times, but there's other ones that show the same thing. Uh, scientists went to northern Tanzania to study the Hadza tribe, and these are modern hunter gatherers. Okay, so today they live the way that humans lived a hundred thousand years ago. Okay, so they they don't have they don't use modern agriculture, they don't have technology and electronics, they hunt. Um, and they gather and they live in huts and they're extremely active compared to the average Westerner because everything involves some form of activity. I mean, when they hunt, they'll, you know, injure an animal and then run after it until it gets exhausted uh, and dies, which could be a 10 mile run, for example. Um, so they're very, very active. And what scientists is, they went down and through some sophisticated testing, they tested their metabolic rates. How many calories are these hunter gatherers burning? And the results were initially shocking, but makes lots of a lot of sense when you consider evolution. The results showed that the the Hadza tribes people burned similar amounts of calories to the average Western couch potato. Okay, so you think well, how's that possible? They're moving all the time. Well, if you consider evolution, it makes no sense that the body would allow you through activity to burn six thousand calories a day when it would be impossible to find six thousand calories in nature. Okay, now we, we don't, this doesn't make sense to us because we have grocery stores and, and food everywhere. But if you live like a hunter gatherer, finding calories is very challenging. It's very, very challenging to do. I mean, the most calorie dense food you could find would be an animal. That means you got to kill it and you got to find it, hunt it, and kill it. And that doesn't happen very often. So your metabolism adapts to lots of activity. So this is why when people choose exercise based on its calorie burn, which, and they typically would choose cardio because you know, running for an hour burns more calories per hour than any other form of exercise. This is why you see this initial weight loss and then this really hard plateau, very hard plateau, right? It's like, oh, I lost 10 pounds. Boom, nothing. Now everything stopped all of a sudden. Well, what happened? Your body's adapting. And what your body's doing is, and by the way, adaptation is the most important trait or factor to consider when you, when you choose the form of exercise that you're going to do. You want to look at the workout and you want to say, how is this going to get my body to adapt? Because that's what sticks around. Okay, that's what makes the biggest difference. So if you do lots of cardio, you're asking your body to have lots of stamina. You don't need a lot of strength at all to do it. And you burn a lot of calories while you do it. So what your body does is it actually pairs muscle down so that you burn less calories and it becomes more efficient. 
So your body, your metabolism actually starts to slow down to offset the calories burned while you're doing the activity. And this is why, again, people will get this, this hard plateau. And studies will show this. A lot of cardio plus calorie deficit, in other words, low-calorie diet, if it results in 10 pounds of weight loss, roughly four or five pounds of that will come from muscle. So you're almost literally a smaller, same body fat percentage version of yourself. You just now have a slower metabolism, okay? So what we, and, and by the way, the reason why we've learned to value exercise for calorie burn is because we've taken the calories in versus calories out understanding of weight gain and weight loss, which is true, right? That's a, that's a, that's a law of physics. If you want to lose weight, you have to take in less energy than you burn or burn more energy than you take in. Very true. But then we've, we've made it so simplistic and said, okay, the calorie burn side of the formula, let's just pick exercises that burn the most calories. Uh, but then this is what happens, what I just explained. So instead, what we want to do is look at, okay, what forms of exercise, forget the calorie burn, because it really doesn't make that big of a difference. Let's look at how, the adaptations. What forms of exercise do the opposite? Which ones speed my metabolism up? Which ones tell my metabolism to burn more calories? And when you do it that way, hands down, the form of exercise that is by far the most effective at that is strength training. If you build muscle and if you just send the signal to build muscle, your metabolism burns more calories. And if you do it that way, the weight loss on the scale starts off a little slower. Part of the reason is you don't lose muscle. So instead of losing 10 pounds, you know, half of becoming muscle, you might lose five or none. But what ended up happening is you lost some fat and built some muscle. Also, side note, muscle is far more dense than body fat. So it takes up less space. Meaning, uh, if you lost 10 pounds of body fat, but gained 10 pounds of muscle, you would lose about 20% of the size that you had because muscle is heavier, uh, in terms, you know, per, in terms of its size, right? It's more dense. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're, you do get leaner, but the weight loss on the scale starts off a little smaller, a little slower, but then you get this snowball effect where the metabolism starts to speed up if you start to, if you do this right. And over time you actually end up, and I've had this happen, I mean, countless times where clients lose weight and at the end of their weight loss journey, they have, uh, they're eating more calories than they did when they started. They're eating more than they did when they first started, which now here's the value of that. Okay. Besides the fact that, you know, you get to eat more food or whatever. The value of that is you just, it just, it's easier to maintain because you have a bigger buffer and you have to consider the context of modern life. In modern life, food is so available and plentiful and it tastes good. And there's so many things associated with food from events to connecting with people, you know, meeting with family, like that it's, it's, it's advantageous to have a metabolism that burns more calories. It gives you a little bit more room and space versus slowing your metabolism down and then to maintain, you know, your, your weight loss, I'm eating 1200 calories a day and I'm doing cardio every single day. That's a tough, uh, that's a tough thing to maintain long-term. And so my job, my goal has always been, how can I, how can I make this, how can I set this up in a way to where it's the easiest to sustain and maintain for this person's health and well-being? And one of the biggest factors is let's get their metabolism to speed up. And there's much more that goes into this, but that's one very important factor to communicate 
when it comes to exercise. Blue Blocks, which makes the best blue light blocking computer glasses, sleep plus glasses, and red and yellow light bulbs on the market, has just launched a line of anti-radiation earphones, laptop mat, and harmonizing stickers. Yes, these are high-quality EMF blocking products that block up to 99% of EMFs or electromagnetic fields. So electromagnetic fields are invisible areas of energy, also known as radiation, that are produced by electricity, specifically power lines, Wi-Fi, electronic devices, etc. Now here's the deal, yes. There still needs to be more research done on the long-term effects of EMF exposure, especially over time. However, some people like myself find that they are very sensitive to EMFs in the home. For example, we started getting more and more Bluetooth items in our home, but as our home got smarter, I was getting more and more headaches and feeling more and more stimulating, stimulated and have, was like having problems sleeping and I just couldn't pinpoint what was going on. So we stopped using Bluetooth light bulbs and appliances. I gave up my AirPods, which was very hard for me to do, but I saw a direct correlation with how long I was wearing my AirPods and headaches and brain fog. And we started turning off the Wi-Fi at night, which really helped. For me, it's it's helped tremendously, and now I block EMFs as much as possible with Blue Blocks Air Tubes, their laptop mat, which I have under my computer right now. And I have tried so many EMF blocking products before Blue Blocks, just like I tried a lot of Blue Blocks, like Blue Blocking glasses. And in terms of quality and effectiveness, Blue Blocks is where it's at. It is worth it to make an investment and make it once and to know that it's actually working. So I recommend everybody go get a laptop pad, especially. Air tubes are really important. The harmonizing stickers are important. It can really make a difference. Our link is blueblocks.com slash wellfed. Our code is wellfed for 15% off, which is actually a really, really good deal. Do one big order. Get yourself some blue blocking glasses and also get, you know, a laptop pad and some air tubes. And maybe some red light bulbs for your nightstand like we have. Again, that's Blue Blocks, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com forward slash well-fed. Our code is well-fed for 15% off. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know that one of the top ways we're exposed to endocrine disruptors, plasticizers like BPA, and heavy metals is through cosmetic products? You could be doing everything right, eating nutrient-dense foods, taking supplements and herbs, using glass storage containers, but if you're not paying attention to what you're putting on your skin, you could still be exposing yourself daily to things that disrupt your hormones and long-term health. Conventional skincare is often loaded with endocrine disruptors, but it also can be high in heavy metals. And most cosmetic companies, including a lot of natural makeup companies, do not test for contaminants like BPA or heavy metals like aluminum and lead. I personally made the switch to clean beauty about five years ago after I read some alarming research that showed how harmful ingredients in women's skincare products can actually pass through the placenta to the baby. And after birth, it makes it into breast milk, which was just crazy. Thankfully, we have many options now, and by far the best effective skincare and makeup is Beauty Counter. Their products are free of known harmful ingredients. They contain active ingredients, which means they just, they work really well, sometimes even better than conventional products. And they specifically test both raw materials and end products, so the finished product for contaminants like BPA 
and heavy metals, which is why I chose to make the switch to Beauty Counter. I absolutely love the vitamin C serum. I would bathe in it if I could. <laughs> and I personally use the Counter Time Tripeptide Serum every single night because it has totally reversed the fine lines I was getting around my smile. Shop Beauty Counter by going to beautycounter.com slash noeltar. Then use the code CLEANFORALL20 to get 20% off your first order. You can also join my clean beauty list. I share promotions and discounts and I offer samples. You can do that at coconutsandkettlebells.com slash beauty. Again, to shop, it's beautycounter.com slash noeltar. And to get 20% off your first order, use the code CLEANFORALL20. Totally. It's interesting because I think we've taken, I mean, the diet culture has sort of taken the focus off of things like metabolism and insulin sensitivity and things that we know that are great for health, right? Metabolic function. And one of the things that I like people don't connect the dots with is that when you're eating less food, not only does it decrease your metabolism, you're also getting less nutrients. Like that's where nutrient deficiencies come into play. Then, you know, your body adapts. If you're eating less, your your metabolism slows down and now you can't up your calories without, quote unquote, gaining weight. You get stuck in a rut of, you know, your adrenals are kind of tanking. You definitely are going to have some hormone imbalances. And now you're you're piling nutrient deficiencies on top of that. So it's so interesting to me how quickly we've gotten removed from what is health? You know, it's it's metabolism, it's proper hormone function, it's all those things. And I know that resistance training impacts hormones pretty profoundly, not just for women, but also for men. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Like, how, how does it impact hormones in particular? Because I know we have a, a lot of women here, too, who, you know, may or may not have, have men who struggle with low testosterone since that's, you know, becoming more popular. Yeah. So, Okay, when it comes to hormones, what you what you want to consider, this will help, I think people understand, is that your hormones are drivers of functions in the body. And so if your body is under stress, it will, in, in a way that is, uh, if the stress is is overcoming your body's ability to recover, or if the stress is just, is just overwhelming or constant, what the body will do is it'll organize its hormones in a stress response way. And so one of the, the greatest protection mechanisms that we evolved to have as humans was our ability to store body fat. That's like our, it's like if you look at a camel and the camel has the hump, the reason why the camel could go so long without water and or food is it, it, it developed this ability to store water and calories. Well, well, humans have this incredible ability to store calories because Next time, maybe we're not going to get food. And this happened all the time through most of human history. So when we're under a lot of stress, either through overexercise or under eating or not getting a lot of sleep, um, the body organizes its hormones to store body fat. And it organizes its hormones in a way to reduce expensive calorie burning tissue, namely muscle. Muscle is expensive. It takes more nutrients and it takes more calories to maintain muscle than it does body fat. Body fat is almost free, right? It's, it costs a little bit to maintain it, but it's almost free. Again, it's a great insurance plan and get against potential famine or stress in the future. So what your body does is it organizes its hormones. Okay, so how can we get our body to organize our, the hormones in a way that make me feel good, that make me feel energized? where I burn more calories, I'm stronger, right? How can I do that? 
Well, you tell your body to build muscle and you feed your body to build some muscle. When you do that, when your body has this signal to build muscle, which is through, again, strength training is the best way to do that, and you fuel your body appropriately, so you're giving your body adequate amounts of proteins and fats and carbohydrates and nutrients, now your body organizes its hormones to build muscle. And what hormones are associated with that? Well, testosterone, in both men and women, by the way. Testosterone is associated as being the, the male hormone, but it's also extremely important in women, just like estrogen is also important in men. So what you see is a healthier level of testosterone. You also, and so what is that testosterone in men and women does the same thing, you know, drive, motivation, libido, energy, dopamine. That's what testosterone does in both men and women. So you get healthier levels of that um, and, and muscle, of course, muscle and strength. You also get an upregulation of androgen uh, receptors. These are the receptors that testosterone attaches to. So it's like your body is priming itself to, to build a little bit of muscle, right? You also, you mentioned earlier, insulin sensitivity goes up. Insulin is also an anabolic hormone. It also can lead to more muscle and more strength. And what your body does is it doesn't create more insulin. That would not be a good thing necessarily. It just becomes more sensitive to insulin. So now your insulin is much more effective. And we know what the opposite of that is, right? Insensitive, insensitivity to insulin is like insulin resistance and eventually uh, diabetes. You also see in women a balancing of estrogen and progesterone. Estrogen and progesterone are very important hormones for women. But there's an important balance that needs to happen. If there's, if there's too much progesterone at the wrong time or vice versa, you tend to not feel good, right? You don't feel like yourself. And there's lots of symptoms associated with those. So you get much more of a balance in those. You get growth hormone levels that tend to be higher. Cortisol becomes much more appropriate. Now, I say appropriate because everybody's focused on low cortisol. You don't want low cortisol just like you don't want high cortisol. You need cortisol. But when you're telling your body... We need, you know, hey, let's build some strength and we're fueling our body to do so. Now you get the, the, the natural cortisol spike in the morning that gives you the energy to wake up and feel good. And you get the nice slow drop in the evening so you can get nice, restful, recuperative sleep. So one of the most effective ways to naturally create, for lack of a better term, a more youthful hormone profile is to simply tell your body to build some muscle and to give it the tools available to do so, the, the, the nutrients. And again, when you do that, that's what you see. Now, you know, we'll talk about men for a second. Nothing reliably raises testosterone in men like strength training. Nothing comes close at all. There, is, there hasn't been anything that has been shown to reliably do that in men like strength training. And that's, again, because it's that youth, uh, you know, anabolic uh, type hormone. So yeah, when it comes to hormone health, I mean, Noel, when I would get clients, when I would get female clients that uh, would present uh, HPA axis dysfunction, which we used to call uh, back in the day adrenal fatigue. Mm -hmm. um, I, used to, I used to own this wellness facility. And in there, I had a hormone specialist that I would work with. And so they would come in and they'd have the classic symptoms, right? Fatigue, um, you know, hot, cold, uh, intolerance, um, you know, hair, skin, you know, that kind of stuff. I would have them go get tested and sure enough, they come back and say, it's okay, we have some HPA axis dysfunction. What I would do as a trainer was I would make sure that they were fed properly. Okay. So let's make sure we don't have any nutrient deficiencies and let's not have you in a calorie deficit right now because the calorie deficit is telling your body you're stressed. So I would put them in a slight surplus or at the very least maintenance in terms of, you know, how much calories they should be consuming. 
Of course, food quality is very important. We would talk about that. By the way, with nutrition, it's way more complex than the way I'm presenting it right now. I'm just giving you the, this, right, the simplistic right. presentation. And then with exercise, strength training twice a week. We would just focus on straight sets, get your body stronger in these very basic compound effective lifts, squats and deadlifts and presses and rows. And you would see remarkable changes. I mean, their hormones will start to balance and, oh my gosh, I feel so good. And, oh my gosh, I'm so strong. And then the next thing that would follow was, I'm getting leaner and I don't know how. Like, why am I getting leaner? I'm like, well, your body is okay getting leaner. It's not afraid. It's not trying to hold on to body fat so much and your metabolism is speeding up. But I'm eating so much food. Yeah, that's because we're working with your body now instead of fighting against it. By the way, if you fight against your body, you will lose. You will not win that battle, I promise you. Right. Eventually, your body wins. <laughs> so don't do that. No, nobody wants to be a loser, okay? Don't, don't yeah, do that. Just, yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, I say that because we ignore the signs that our body tells us. Like, oh, I'm so tired. Throw yeah. more caffeine at myself. Oh, my God, I can't relax at the end of the day. Have a glass of wine. Oh, my God, you know, the, the workouts just feel terrible. Grind through it, you know, drive through it. Oh, my God, I'm so sore. Well, I'll just get a massage. It's like these are all signs your body's telling you and you're fighting your body. And eventually what happens is the signs and the signals get louder and louder and louder until until you lose, until you're just I, I have no energy. I have no libido or I get injured um, and I have these chronic pain, you know, so. That's why I say that. It's like, don't fight your body. Work with your body. This is, again, this the process should feel good. It should not feel, I know we get, we glorify the, the grind and the struggle and the, you know, you know what the grind and the struggle really are all about? Just being consistent, just being disciplined. Like, okay, I, I, I'm going to go do this because, you know, this is what I do. I go and I take care of myself. But the grind and struggle should not be the workout. I, like I said, the, the, occasionally one out of 10 workouts, go for it. Like push yourself. That's fine. There's great psychological benefits to that. But the vast majority of time, no, you should not feel like you're surviving your workout. Uh, that's terrible. And by the way, the, you know, I know you mentioned CrossFit and classes and stuff like that. One of the reasons why people bond so much in those classes is the shared, the shared, you know, pain and struggle. And it's true, right? It's like, oh my God, at the end of the class, like you, you look at the person next to you and you're like, we didn't die. You know, you do the mm -hmm. high five. Like, like men in war. Hey, we survived. You know, we're friends for life. So, um, no, that's not what your workout should feel like. No. I have a, a really great question from the community. I think we this is a great time to get into the nitty gritty um, as a follow up. So this is from Jody. She says, how do you find the right dose of exercise? So maximum benefit, but not overtraining and not harming hormones or health, especially with autoimmune issues. Yes. What a great question. Okay. There's two things we want to consider here. There's there, it, so it's like a bell curve, okay? So if you look at a like a bell curve, at the front of it would be you know no results, my body's not responding, and then when you get to the peak of the curve, that's when I'm getting maximum benefit from my training and from my nutrition. And then as you continue, obviously they get diminishing returns. So the goal is to be at the peak of the bell, and that's a common question: How do I know if I'm doing the right amount? Well, there's another thing that we want to consider besides what I just said, which is your maximum, the, the max that you can tolerate. The maximum amount of stress and exercise you can tolerate is not the same as the, the optimal amount that's going to give you the best results. It's not the same. The maximum you can tolerate is down 
uh, to the right away from all those great results. So the problem is people confuse the two. They do a workout. They feel great. They have lots of energy. They're seeing results. And then they understandably but falsely believe if I do more because I can do more. I feel like I can do more. I can tolerate more. If I do more, I'll get there faster. I'll get better results. False. That's false. Now you start to get diminishing returns. So what you don't want to do is aim for the maximum amount of stress you can tolerate. You want the maximum, you want the, the, the right dose that will give you the best results. How do you judge that? You want to use things that are objective. One of the best objective measures, it's not perfect, okay, and I'll explain why in a second, but one of the best objective measures is strength. It's very hard to get stronger and not feed yourself enough and have nutrient deficiencies and have poor sleep or whatever. If you're getting stronger, you're probably doing a lot of things right. So that's a great sign, right? So if you were able to do another rep or lift a little bit more weight or you felt more stable while you did the exercise, so you're like, wow, you know, I feel like I'm stronger. I feel better. That's a great objective measure. Now, it's not perfect because at some point you can't keep getting stronger. I mean, if that was the case, I'd be I'd be able to, you know, to squat 10,000 pounds by now. It, it, at some point that stops, right? So we want to look at other objective measures. Energy, um, you know, drive in the workout. Am I, do I feel like the same workout is making me feel like I have to like, you know, kick myself in the butt or do I feel good? Um, the libido is another thing you want to pay attention to. Do I have a good, healthy libido? Cravings versus actual hunger. There's a difference, right? There's hunger. Well, oh yeah, I, I think I need to eat some food versus cravings. Cravings tend to uh, point towards foods that give us this kind of immediate, um, you know, dopamine, you know, kind of serotonin rush. Uh, so you'll, you'll crave, and you, you might notice this after a night of, of drinking with your friends and you're, you're hungover the next day. You know, you tend to crave, you know, quote unquote crappy food. It's the food that that temporarily boosts dopamine and serotonin, right? So. Cravings versus actual hunger, um, mood. Do I have? Uh, do I feel in worse moods than I normally do? Do I feel more irritable? Do I feel you know, a bit more positive? So you want to judge your workout effectiveness off of those types of things, not off of how sore I am, how I think I can do more. I think I can push myself harder. You don't want to judge it off those because if you do that, like I said, you'll end up pushing towards your maximum amount that you can tolerate, but you'll be sacrificing results by doing so. And you, in other words, you're just doing more work and getting worse results. Um, and I don't know anybody that wants to do that, right? That doesn't make any sense. No, I, you know, we, there's this common misconception that you have to force fitness at adaptations. And the truth is you can't really stop it. You know, if you're doing it right, you can't stop those adaptations. You don't, I love that idea of like, okay, there's a bell curve and, and you're, everybody wants to push it to the very right of that picture and say, okay, oh, I can, I can do it. I can push more. And gosh, I mean, that's the entire endurance world. You know, that's, that's endurance yeah. sports is how much more can I push it? And if I push it further, then I will be healthier or I'll be stronger. Or I'll be able to run faster. And really a lot of times the opposite is true. The less you do, the more rest you, you, you recover, you know, you're recovering properly. But when you're intentionally incorporating rest and you're intentionally, you know, providing yourself with these 
opportunities to become faster and stronger, you, you do. And and yeah. so many people just drive themselves into the ground. Yes, a, a big a big a big reason for that is it's not necessarily nefarious, but I think we tend to get our information from the top. So if you look at the top performing endurance athletes, there's definitely value in being able to push yourself to the limit, right? There's there's a huge especially with endurance sports, there's a huge mental component. Often what separates, you know, first place from second place isn't necessarily fitness, but who can endure the most. And so we we look to them and we say, "Oh, that's how I should train. Well, first off, I'm going to, this is true. Okay. This might be shocking to some people, but this is hundred percent true. Top performing athletes are not the healthiest people. This is fact. You are trade. They trade performance for health all the time. Just look at their longevity. Look at the, the longevity of top endurance athletes and compare it to populations that live a long time. You'll see a, dis- you'll see a huge disparity. In fact, top endurance athletes have been known to die quite early. Definitely true for top strength athletes, for top anything, any type of performance. Mm-hmm. Look at professional sports, for example. Um, they don't live a long time. So you don't want to look at them unless your goal is to be the best in the world at some particular sport, in which case performance is a different conversation. But you don't want to take your advice from them necessarily. The second thing is that it is true that a certain amount of stress is necessary for your body to adapt and change, but it has to be appropriate to you. It has to be appropriate too. I've been training consistently for, you know, 20 something years. What I need to do to get my body to improve anymore is very different than what someone might, who hasn't exercised before needs to do, right? So to give you a different example, because remember it's all adaptation, right? But to use another example of an adaptation, your skin's ability to darken is an adaptation to exposure to ultraviolet rays, right? So you go out in the sun, you, you get sun on your skin. And you start to get a tan. Your that tan is your body adapting and trying to become more resilient to the stress of the sun. Well, if I lived in my mom's basement for ten years and never saw the sun and went outside, how much sunlight would I need to elicit an adaptation response? Like five minutes, not even two minutes probably, and my skin would start to darken. Right now, if I tan every day and I live in the Mediterranean and I'm whatever, I, more tolerance. I have more tolerance. I need more to cause any further uh, changes. So consider that with yourself, right? Do you work out consistently two days a week? You do? Great. How much more do you need to change to get your body to to change even further in terms of performance and strength? A little bit more, a tiny bit more. And by the way, two days a week done right with good programming, you can get really far, really far before you have to add another day of exercise. And I want to make that point very clear because I think the first thing people do is add more exercise when there's when there's stuff within the workout you can do to get your body to continue progressing. And then there's this point right here. Um, the amount of exercise required to maintain is not the same as the amount of exercise required to progress. In fact, there was a study that was recently done that showed when it came to strength and muscle, one ninth the volume is required to maintain. This is good news because if you've been working out for a long time, anybody who's been training for a long time will tell you this. I, I've been training forever. The type of training I need to do now to keep my body as fit as it is, is way less than it took to get to a certain point, right? So good news for those of you who are trying to do this long term, which is, you know, you do this, you, as you continue to do this, you can actually maintain your fitness much easier than it might have took it, taken you to get there, which is good, right? Because mm. that's a very sustainable um you know, that's a, that's a, that's a, 
a piece of information that makes you realize, wow, this is going to be much more sustainable the longer I stay consistent. But yeah, don't don't look your fit your workouts have to be appropriate to you for for best results for your fitness, your lifestyle, the context of your current life. Anything above that is too much and will actually slow your progress down. So let's talk about like proper recovery for a second. This one's from Micah. She says, how do I train three to four days a week without getting sore or hurting myself? I'm sore even when I don't push it. And I feel like it takes me forever to recover. In addition, my lower back or shoulders or neck is always out of whack. She says she eats plenty of calories. She does low impact strength training three to four times a week while rotating muscle groups. I also spend five to 10 minutes warming up. Is there an essential nutrient or supplement I'm missing? I don't want to do less workouts because it's what keeps me sane. Yeah, you're, um, okay, so could there be a nutrient deficiency? Yeah, potentially. So the only way to know that would be to get tested. I would test the essential nutrients to see if there's anything that's low that could be causing something like this. Could be magnesium, could be vitamin D. Um, so I would go get tested first uh, just to see. Um, number two, sleep and sleep quality. That's the biggest Im- uh, impact on recovery. Are you sleeping consistently? seven to eight hours every night and do you have good sleep quality or do you have sleep apnea? Those can affect recovery. But here's what's probably the answer. So if it's not what I just said, nutrient deficiency, poor quality of sleep, if it's not those two things, here's what the answer probably is, which is just work out less. Now, I know the the question was, you know, hey, I like to work out and maintain my sanity. That's perfectly fine. You can exercise every single day you just have to comp- really adjust the workout and the intensity. So maybe instead of three strength training workouts a week, you do one, and then maybe two days a week you focus on mobility or um, you do uh, yin yoga or something that is very restorative, okay? And what you'll notice is you'll get stronger and you'll start to feel better. You should not feel the way that you're feeling. If you feel the way that you're feeling, those are all indicative of, too much, too much intensity, too much workouts, too much volume. The problem though, when I communicate this to people is that they judge the whole thing and they say, it can't be too much. I'm only doing this much. And I used to be able to do this much, or my friend can do this much. Hmm. Ignore all that. It's too much for you right now. Your body's telling you it's too much for you right now. Scale it way back and then look for those nutrient deficiencies in those sleep things. And it could, it could just be this. You have no nutrient deficiencies. Your sleep is fine. You might have just been overtraining for so long that your body's in a position where it's like, we need like six months of you just working out once a week just to catch up. So, And that might be the case. You might scale it way back, start to feel like you're starting to feel better. This happens all the time. I've seen this happen many times. Start to feel better. And then you can slowly start to add those workouts back in and you feel great. But you need to give yourself a little runway and, and that might be what's happening. Yeah. I I love what you mentioned about just comparison culture because it's so toxic on social media now because all we do is see what everybody else is doing. And it can we can so easily get into this like should place where it's like, well, I should be able to do this. And so we make these assumptions about what our body can handle based on what we're seeing other people do. But, uh, you know, the recommendation of go down to one strength training workout per week, you know, that's can be really, really helpful. And that can be the ticket. But like, then we feel shame, you know, it's like, well, why can't I handle this? And it's really because of comparison. It's it's the thief of joy. Yeah. Yeah. What's your goal? Is your goal just to work out a bunch of times? Or is your goal to have your fit your workouts, improve the quality of your life? If you want to improve the quality of your life, adjust your workouts. Again, you can go to the gym every day. Look, I 
I've gone, look, I've been doing this for a long time. There's been periods in my life that were, un, I was under tremendous stress. There was one, there was a, there was a, a two year period where I lost somebody very close to me. They, they lost the battle with cancer. It was a long, ugly battle. Then I got, went through a divorce and I was under tremendous and I sold my business. It was like, it was all one after another. And my workouts look very different than they look today. Now I was doing workouts every day, but a lot of them were like mobility, stretching, walking. You know, I did something because I understand the value of the process, but the workouts weren't like, I wasn't lifting and going hard or whatever, almost ever. I think maybe one day out of the week or sometimes no days a week I was doing that because I was, I was like, okay, how can I, how can I use this workout in a way to make me feel better right now? So that's the approach. Comparing yourself to other people is just so not fair to you because you don't know what the other person's doing, what they're going through, what they're, how they're, and also it's so inaccurate. Who cares? Like if your goal is for you, which it should be, then you, the best, your best measurement is how you feel right now. And the way that this person explained in their question, they're not feeling very good. Mm -hmm. And, And it sounds to me like whatever the case may be, it's too much for them. Once they can identify if there's a nutrient deficiency or whatever, or maybe they need to train less for a little period of time. Nonetheless, we know uh, that it's too much right now. So let's scale it back. Yeah. Looks can be deceiving because like when I was posting my photos and was, oh, super lean and doing all this stuff, I was the most unhealthy that I had ever been in my life. So, um, okay. This one's from Diane. I think this is this is a is kind of a nice follow-up. She says, I have zero desire to exercise or make my body do anything that it doesn't want to do. What is the minimum I can do? Uh, the, I mean, the minimum is the minimum. So, okay. So I remember as a, um, as a gym manager, I, I grand opened gyms for a while. And as a gym manager, one of my jobs was to, to, you know, sign people up and get them memberships and get them working with trainers and all that stuff. And so, you know, it, part of that process is, is okay, how do I communicate this in a way where the pe- person knows this is a good decision and they want to do it? And, and you know, in my early days, I remember one of the main, I guess, concerns people would have would be time. I don't have enough time to work out. And the early version of me or whatever would do this motivational, you know, everybody's got the same 24 hours in a day. And, you know, if you dedicate time to exercise, you'll get more time and productivity and it makes you a better mom and a better, you know, business person, blah, 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 which is all true. But it was also very ineffective because either A, the person would look at me and be like, you have no idea, you don't know my life. Or B, I would be very effective. I'd motivate them. They'd come in four days a week and then they'd stop at some point because it was just too much uh, for them at that moment. Later on, I learned any amount of time was the right answer. So how many, how many, how much time do you think you could dedicate to exercise right now. And I don't care what the answer was. That was okay. Cause it's more than you're doing now. So my answer to this person is whatever you can do, that's more than you do now is enough. Now here's the key here. Do that. So ask yourself this question. What can I do that is both challenging? It has to have, there has to be a little bit of challenge there because otherwise it doesn't have any meaning or purpose for you, but also simultaneously, is it realistic for me forever? Okay. And you have to use the context of now, whatever I do now, is it challenging, but also is it something that I feel like I can maintain for the rest of my life? So that may look like to this person 30 minutes once a week. Maybe they say that to themselves and they're being very, you have to be very honest, right? So they, you know, two days a week. No, that's too much. One day a week. Yeah. Okay. 30 minutes a week. Yes. I think I can do 30 minutes a week. That's going to be a little hard for me because I really hate this. 
but uh, also I think I can maintain that for the rest of my life. Start there. Start there. Here's what's going to happen. Stay consistent. Stick to it. It's more than you're doing now. You're going to get some benefit, I promise you. And then here's what's going to happen. I'm going to make a prediction. At some point, this will happen. You'll say to yourself, huh, I think I want to do a little more than that. And then ask yourself that question again and do that again. By the way, this is the this is how you develop the skill of discipline in regards to exercise. You slowly start to scale up. The, you start to add more time because you want to. And then you end up finding a nice place for yourself. But there is no wrong answer here. What's the minimum? The minimum is whatever you, 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 you can do. Now, a couple tips. One way that you can make this easier on yourself is to simply inject activity into your normal daily rituals. Okay, so... Rather than saying, I'm going to schedule a 30-minute workout, you might say to yourself, this is a very effective thing you can do, by the way, is I'm going to, um, I'm going to do a 10-minute walk after breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay? There's 30 minutes right there, right? Or I'm going to, um, uh, five minutes after I wake up and five minutes before bed, I'm going to stretch or something like that, right? So attach it to rituals that you do daily. Or you can even do this. And I know when I was a trainer, I used to think this was so silly until we started to measure steps and calorie burn and effects. And I realized, whoa, this is actually quite effective. You could do this. I had one woman who, who started with me and this is what she did. She would train me once a week. And then on her own, she worked on the second floor of a building. And I said, uh, and we came up with this idea and I said, all right, I tell you what, anytime you need to use the bathroom, only use the bathroom on the third floor, but you got to use the stairs. And she said, yeah, I think I could do that. And we tracked her steps and she ended up increasing her steps by like two or 3000 a day, which was pretty awesome just through something like that. So, you know, just some ideas that can help a little bit with consistency, but any amount that is more than you're doing now is going to elicit some positive changes. Start there and then wait, wait for yourself to be like, I want to do more and then do the same thing. Add a little bit more. So this is an interesting question and I, I'd love for you to kind of unpack a little bit about just the difference between what type of exercises people should be doing. So the difference between multi-joint compound movements versus isolation exercises. But Sarah said, Sarah says, what's a, a good, simple, basic strength training for beginners at home plan? Something that uses compound exercise. So you're getting the most from your workout. Yeah. So compound exercises refer to exercises that require more than one of your joints to be moving the resistance or your body. So an example would be like a, a push-up would be a compound lift. I'm using the elbow and shoulder joint to do it. Um, a squat would be another compound. Now, the, the reason why they're, they're so valuable is because they, they use so much muscle mass um, and different muscles through the exercise. It's very effective. So if you compared a compound lift to an isolation lift that only uses one joint, like, for example, a curl would be an isolation exercise, you just see way better results in the same amount of time uh, being spent. So compound exercises are just phenomenal. They also more functional. If you get stronger, you know, doing, uh, you know, a pull up, uh, it, that's way more, there's way more carryover to the real world than if you just get stronger doing curls, uh, for example. So it's just lots of value. So, all right, what's a good, what's a good, um, routine squatting is phenomenal. It's a, it's a, it's a natural human movement. There's tremendous benefits to getting good at squatting. So I would include some type of a squat. You could do traditional squat. You could do, of course, you could add resistance to it by putting weight on a bar on your back or using resistance bands or just slowing down the repetitions. That increases the, the tension of the exercise. You can also do split stance squats. 
also popular, popularly referred to as like lunges. Those are also very good. Now put those in the same category. So some type of a squat, some type of a hip hinging movement. Uh, so to put it in more layman's terms, an exercise that requires you to bend over and stand back up. So one without any resistance would be to stand on one, to balance on one foot, bend over, touch your toes and stand back up, all trying to balance on one leg. It's called a single leg toe touch or a single leg deadlift. Great exercise. You could always add resistance to that. There's of course traditional deadlifts, which are phenomenal with a barbell or dumbbells or with a resistance band. One of the best exercises. You want to do some kind of a horizontal press. So a push-up of some type, you could go all the way to a push-up on a counter to make it easy, or you go all the way down to the floor off your knees or off your feet, uh, be more, the most challenging. Or you could use weights, obviously a bench press or a, a dumbbell chest press would, would definitely qualify. You want to do some type of an overhead press, okay? So lifting something over your head, dumbbells, resistance bands. If you're really into yoga, you could do handstands. Uh, that's a, that's also very fundamental and quite effective. You want to do some kind of a pulling movement, right? Something where you row very important to strengthen those mid back muscles, uh, especially for posture nowadays, lots of forward shoulder, um, which, and it sounds the way it looks the way that it sounds, right? Where your shoulders kind of roll forward. Lots of that going on these days because so many desk jobs and mm. so much time spent on computers. So some type of a row. You can row with dumbbells or a barbell, or you can use your body to row. You can hang under a bar, stand, you know, kind of go underneath it with your legs straight, pull your body to it. Of course, resistance bands uh, would qualify. So some type of a pulling movement. And then you're kind of, oh, and then maybe some type of a, uh, a rolling up crunch or sit up or s some type of a slow core controlled exercise. And then if you want to add something else, I would do some rotation of some type. So where you hold a resistance band and rotate, because that's also important. And that's pretty much it. And any variety of version or different versions of those exercises would qualify, but that would cover it, right? So, you know, what did I mention? Squat, some kind of a bend over deadlift type movement, horizontal press, overhead press, some type of a row and a crunch. There's, there's six exercises there and you can even take out two or three of them and just do four and then make sure the next workout you inject those four and replace them uh, with the other two. So I think, you know, if you're doing four compound type exercises in your workout, you're doing great. I think you're doing awesome. And I'd like to add one more thing to that. Don't treat the exercises like you're trying to work out with them, but rather treat them like skills you're trying to master. Mm -hmm. That'll, that'll, that'll make your workouts far more appropriate. So rather than squatting to make your legs sore and burn squat to do a perfect squat, like try to perfect the technique and form of the squat. That is going to give you far better long-term results than, you know, thinking to yourself, oh, I need to make my back tired and sore. I need to make my shoulders burn. Uh, you know, I need to make my legs tired. Perfect the skill of those exercises, and they'll give you so much more in return if you do it that way. So Martha's question is, is it good to work towards failure when it comes to weight training? Yeah, so failure represents if you're lifting a weight and then you can no longer lift it anymore, then you went to failure. And that's popularized by bodybuilders. And the answer to the question is no. Now, the more advanced you are, the more value you may get from training with a higher level of intensity. But the, the, when it comes to just overall success uh, and results, consistency trumps all of that. Okay, So the, the person who works out at a moderate intensity, but they've done it three days a week for you know, the last year, 
is going to get better results than the person who trains with maximum intensity, but they, you know, miss, you know, weeks here and there type of deal or, or even months. So don't worry so much about train to failure. Now you need to have some level of intensity. It needs to feel somewhat challenging, but do what I said earlier, perfect the skill of the exercise, choose a level of resistance that makes it somewhat challenging and stick to that. That will give you the best long-term success out of, you know, training at super high intensities. Now, if you start to become more advanced, you've got really good technique and man, you're super stable and you've been able to add resistance to your exercises. You've been doing this for a couple of years. Yeah. Then at that point, you can definitely push the intensity and train yourself hard. Although I will say this training to failure, uh, is it doesn't produce any better results. Uh, and studies have shown this than training short of failure. In fact, I, I, I typically recommend never training to failure except for, uh, the rare occasions where I'm training again, an advanced athlete and I need to use, you know, a, a technique to, to get their body to continue to respond. But for the most part, I would say don't train to failure, stop short of it. And especially and in, in, in even that do it occasionally. So this is our last question. It's kind of a follow up from t- from your discussion before about increasing metabolism. So this is from Jessica. She says, I love Sal from Mind Pump. Would love to know his best tips for women and increasing their metabolism after years of under eating or overtraining. Is it normal to gain weight during this process? And how do you know when your metabolism has improved? Yeah. So so th- here's the basics. Um, first off, make sure you get your essential macronutrients. So you need to eat a certain amount of protein or fat. Those are essential. But I would say, make sure, first off, make sure your fat intake is, 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 ascent, is appropriate, right? Because too low a fat will wreak, uh, just wreak havoc on your hormones, especially for women. So eat adequate fat, eat high protein. Okay. Now this may not be appropriate for everybody. Some people experience digestive issues if they eat too much protein, but for the most part, a high protein diet, um, it, it accelerates the muscle building, strength boosting proper, uh, process. It, it's very recuperative and, and it really helps with recovery. So what's high protein? About 0.6 to 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight. Um, it, now, if you're obese, then you want to use your lean body mass. But for most women, your body weight will work just fine. So if you weigh 130 pounds, you're looking at about 70, 80 grams, maybe 90 grams of protein a day. So aim for a good amount of protein, uh, high protein, make sure you have adequate amount of fat. And then what you do is you want to do what's called a reverse diet. You want to slowly increase your caloric intake while simultaneously focusing on building strength with strength training. Strength training is a great way to, again, boost the metabolism. But you want to do what's called a reverse diet. So how do you do that? You want to figure out where your maintenance calories are in order to do that, you want to track for a little while how many calories am I eating on a regular basis um, and then maybe increase them by 100 calories a day, 150 calories a day. And you you do this and if you see a little bit of weight gain, just stay with it. Once the weight gain slows down or stops, then bump it up again another 50 or 100 and do this over a period of time. Will you get some weight gain? Yes, you might get some weight gain. Depending on how long you've been under eating and overtraining. Sometimes you need to gain some, you know, a significant amount of weight, 10 or 15 pounds before your body isn't afraid anymore and says, okay, we're, we're good. Um, usually though, we don't need to do that. So we just do this kind of slow reverse diet. How do you know when you're done? Well, when you're eating enough food to realize, oh, I'm eating a lot of food. I don't want to eat anymore. At that point now you can, if you want to re- cut back down, you could start to do that. 
Um, I also, I personally like to use, uh, health measures like, okay, libido, energy, hair, skin, sleep. Like, how are you feeling? Oh my God, I'm feeling really good. Okay. I think we're, we're moving in the right direction, but you have to, you have to reverse the calories. You have to do what's called a reverse diet and feed yourself a little bit more because if you're constantly feeding yourself too little, um, you know, again, your body's in this protect kind of protect itself space. And part of that is slowing its metabolism down. That's part of the process. Thank you, Sal, for answering all of these questions. You spent some time with us. And one of the things that you did not mention is that um, the resistance training revolution actually has a lot of workouts in it. I saw a beautifully designed uh, visual aid of how to perform all of these different compound movements, movements that are all included in the workouts. And um, if you all, a lot of your questions were, hey, like, what do I do to get started? What's a good beginner? You know, what what should I be doing? How can I do this at home? Get his book. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes. And that's that's a great place to start. So thank you, Sal, so much for being here and spending time with us. Yes. And thank you for what you're doing. I really appreciate it. Um, Our space needs more people like you communicating the way you do. I agree. And I will um, link to uh, Sal's podcast and all the links in the show notes. Um, for more from Sal, it's mindpumpmediacorrect.com. Yeah, that's the website. And then of course, the, the podcast is just Mind Pump. Got it. And the book is, again, The Resistance Training Revolution. For more from me, you can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com. Thanks for being here, guys. I will talk to you next week.